Welcome back to another edition of our Members Mailbag Show, the podcast built around your questions. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and welcome to this week's edition of the Members Mailbag, the show which is built around you guys' questions. And we've got a good couple of weeks worth of questions this time because we didn't get to put one of these out last week for reasons that are, of course, uh, of my own and, and reasons that uh, I'm not going to look to pin on anybody else but myself. I was really, really busy um, just before the international break. And I have to admit, I've taken my foot off the gas a little bit during uh, the international break, just to kind of wind down a little bit and recharge my batteries ahead of what's going to be a really busy and hectic end to the season. The business end of the season is always very challenging, always lots of games to cover, lots of work to get through. Uh, and so sometimes that little bit of respite is indeed needed. Uh, big hello to everybody joining us in the live chat box at the moment. Uh, big hello to all our members. And if you uh, are not a member, but you'd like to become one and have your questions featured on this show, the Members Mailbag Show, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description. We'd love to have you, and I thank you all for your continued support. Uh, big hello to Peeny Wing, to Harvey, to Walter, to Paul, to Joe, to Henry, to Social, uh, to Alex. I uh, hope you guys are all well. Alex joins us from Chicago. Hope you're well, mate, and love to everybody across the pond. Um, <laughs> Peeny Ween says that too busy branding T-shirts and barbecue and these T-shirts, I've had them for ages, man. Uh, they're not new, I can assure you. I was actually wearing a jumper uh, before, but uh, yeah, it just got too hot and took it off. So I haven't changed especially for this episode. Uh, just so you know, a uh, big thank you to everybody as well who tuned in to uh, the last edition of the Press Review Show. The next episode is coming up tomorrow. As always, lots and lots of Arsenal stuff to get through, as well as keeping you across all the latest news and stories concerning some of the clubs that we're in direct competition with. OK, let's jump into the members mailbag and let's take our first question. Let's take this question from Cayman Guna, who says, if Arteta is successful, what can we expect in terms of feelings towards the owners? Is there too much bad blood to repair it? So it's kind of a two-part question, this. If Arteta is successful, what can we expect in terms of the feeling towards the owners? Well, I, I don't think that the owners have kind of gotten away with anything at this moment in time. I think we all kind of feel as a fan base that we're moving in the right direction, that we are moving towards something more like the Arsenal that we all know and that we all loved. But we've yet to achieve anything, really, when you think about it. You know, I know that the FA Cup was was obviously enjoyable. Mikel Arteta winning a trophy in his first season. It was half a season, but he still managed to get over the line uh, and, and pick up that trophy. Great. Are Arsenal back being a Champions League club? Well, not yet. Um, and, and getting back into the Champions League once isn't really kind of the end goal here like we want to get back in it of course but we want to be sustainable in our ability to qualify for the Champions League we want to be doing it year in year out that's when you'll be able to say after it's happened for two three four seasons and it looks like it's likely year after year that Arsenal are back and Arsenal are back to the place where they should be now people always say to me that I accept mediocrity and that 
I'm too willing to give Arsenal a free ride in terms of their level and in terms of what they should be achieving. And that's absolutely not the case. But what I would say is that the football landscape has dramatically changed since the Invincibles. Okay, back in those days, it was Arsenal or Manchester United. There was no one else really in contention for the Premier League title. Then, of course, um, Chelsea came along with their millions, closed the gap and became uh, a real contender as well. And then Manchester City followed suit. Clubs like Liverpool were always going to rise again at some point, just based on their size. Tottenham had a really good spell and a really good period under Maurizio Pochettino too. And so qualifying for the Champions League and saying that that's acceptable and saying that that's good enough, it wasn't the case many years ago, but with the football landscape changing, I'm not saying it's completely acceptable, but it is much more acceptable than it would have been to say that in 2002, 2003. So the point I'm trying to make here is that, um, you know, we are moving in the right direction under this ownership and there are lots of things to be positive and optimistic about. But until they re-establish us as a Champions League club year in, year out, then I'm not going to be totally satisfied. The reason I talk about what Arsenal should be achieving is because that dictates, doesn't it, the mood and the view and the uh, opinion of the ownership. If you feel like Arsenal are a club that, that should be in the Champions League and they're not, then you will be frustrated, you will be disappointed. But there's also a danger of getting caught up in the history of it all and believing and thinking that Arsenal have this divine right now to win the Premier League every season. That isn't the case. And with Manchester City, Manchester United even, um, all having much greater spending power than us, Chelsea, you know, depending on who takes them over, could well still be in that same position. You look at the likes of Liverpool, a huge club who have built over a number of years in the right way to get to where they are. And then you have to look at it and say, well, actually, there's not really that much more we can ask from KSE because we know that they're not going to spend stupid amounts of money. We know that they're not going to bankroll Arsenal the way that Manchester City has been bankrolled or that Roman Abramovich has bankrolled Chelsea for all of those years. So it's not accepting mediocrity. It's recalibrating your expectations, making sure that they're realistic and then your emotions basically being um, sort of based on that and, and sort of engaged to that. So I think it's really, really important that we understand what's realistic for Arsenal and then we assess the ownership. So for me, they've got to be in the Champions League year in, year out. A club of Arsenal's size. And if you miss out once or twice by a point or you're there or thereabouts and you're competing, then I can live with that. Uh, but you have to be in contention for it. And the reality is that we felt like we've been a million miles away from it for some time now. You also have to think about the communication between the ownership and the fans. How is that going? It's definitely got better. I think that since Josh Kroenke has taken a much more hands-on approach and a much more hands-on role. I think the communication side of things has improved. We hear from him a lot more often than we do from Silent Stan. I do think a lot of the things that they've done are uh, sort of just PR moves, i.e. the fans forum and all of that stuff. I mean, how much difference does that actually make? Not enough, in my opinion, but it looks good. And so, you know, you have to say that they're doing the right things in that sense. But I, I guess ultimately, going back to your question, I know I've gone around the houses a little bit. If the club are where we as fans believe they should be, then the ownership and the issue of the ownership, it becomes a side issue and a side problem. And not everybody feels so kind of strongly about it. The, the, the question of the ownership, it comes to the fore when Arsenal aren't performing. And it obviously came to the fore 
when the whole Super League thing came about. And there's a good question about the Super League that I'm going to come to a little bit later on. So I think they've got a lot of repairing to do. They've done a lot of damage over the years um, in terms of how they've been perceived. I think that one of the things that is a, a positive for me is that they spent a lot of money during that really difficult time for the club, a difficult time for football, a difficult time for the world in terms of the pandemic. And they've shown at the very least that they are willing to put their money where their mouth is in order to get Arsenal back to where they feel they should be. So I was encouraged by that when I saw the financial results of the club that were obviously not good. They didn't make positive reading. That for me only increases the kind of um, the credit that you should be giving to KSE, not because I'm their puppet, not because I love everything they do, but because you can sit here and you can say Arsenal is our club. Arsenal is this. Arsenal is that. It's the club of our hearts and it absolutely is, but it's their business. It is KSE's business. And so to take a hit like they have on their business, knowing that it would damage the value of the club, knowing that it it doesn't read well on their balance sheets, but to still take that hit and make sure that they're doing what they can to try and make us as competitive as possible, I think is a good thing. And I think that we should be... Um, I think that we, I'm not going to say we should be grateful. Like you own a club like Arsenal Football Club. You're a custodian of this football club. It's it's part of your duty, I believe, to make sure you treat it right and to make sure you love it and to make sure that you nurture it and that you give it the attention it needs. But they don't have to do that is the point I'm trying to make. So when people go, oh, it's the club's money. Yeah, a lot of it comes from money that the club have generated. But any money that the club generates is their money because it's their business. Anybody who's got a business, I've got a business. Does the money that is generated from my business belong to anybody else other than me? No, it doesn't. And and that's kind of the bottom line, I guess. So has the has the opinion of them swung a little bit? I think they're slowly chipping away at, at the, the kind of bad reputation that they had. Um, is there too much damage done? No, I don't think there ever is because I think with football fans, we're a simplistic bunch in that, if we're winning and if we're playing well, the rest of it is a bit of a non-issue. Um, you know, yes, there are other issues that we've seen at football clubs with regards to morality in recent seasons. You know, there's a lot of talk about Newcastle and their ownership. There's a lot of talk about people running Manchester City, Paris Saint-Germain, whatever. Um, that's a completely different thing. We Luckily, we don't have any of that with KSC. Um, you know, we did have this issue in the past about the hunting channel that they were uh, bringing to the table and, and everybody kind of made their opinions known on that. But at this moment in time, it's literally for us as fans about what happens on the pitch more than anything else. And on that basis right now, I don't think there's an awful lot to complain about. So I don't think it's beyond repair. I think that if the team continues to improve, continues to develop, they continue to sign the right players, continue to uh, appoint the right managers, whether that be sticking with Mikel Arteta or going with someone else, then I think as fans, uh, we'll probably just sort of back off a little bit. And, and naturally, I think that's happened anyway. OK, uh, let's move on to another question. Let's take uh, this one from PM1 Guna, who says, would you take Rudiger for free and sell Saliba for 40 million? if the opportunity came about. Now, there's been a lot of talk and a lot of questions about William Saliba's future of late. Uh, we know that he made some comments just a few days ago that kind of were indicating that maybe it's not a done deal, that he'll return back to Arsenal this summer. He spoke about the fact that Marseille and Arsenal were going to sit down and discuss it and talk about it and that he wasn't really know 
uh, he wasn't really in the know uh, with regards to what the outcome of that might be. Well, Antonio Rudiger is certainly a top, top centre half. And he's a player who he's one of those that he's just a massive shithouse. And when he plays for your team, you love him. If he doesn't, then you hate him. He's 29 years old. He is the finished article. He is someone at the level now today um, where you look at and you say he could add something to this team immediately. I've still got question marks about William Saliba in that I still think he's got a long way to go in terms of his development. But for me, it feels like Arsenal are going down this route, are going down this approach of let's bring in players with potential. Let's focus and home in on the fact that we believe we have a very good coach, not just a manager, but a coach. And let's hope that the ability to improve players and develop them and take them onto that next level and sort of being able to pluck players out of the market for less money on the basis that we're going to be able to do that is the model that is going to take us forward. If that is the model that Arsenal are fully 100% uh, you know, invested in, and I feel it is, then I think that people are going to sort of campaign for us to keep William Saliba. I'd love Antonio Rudiger in the back line, but the one doubt I have about Rudiger, who, of course, his contract comes to an end at Chelsea, and there's a lot of talk about what his future might hold, is indeed that uh, Antonio Rudiger seems so much better in a back three than in a back two. And it doesn't look like we're going to be playing that way. So are we getting, by looking at Antonio Rudiger in a very solid and very tough and robust Chelsea side, are we getting a false picture of what he would be in an Arsenal shot? I think there's a little bit of an element of that. So I would be a little bit concerned. Um, and also, I don't want to give up on William Saliba. Look, it's it's Arsenal's decision. It's Arteta's decision. It's Saliba's decision. All of those have to come to the table, have a discussion, have a chat, be frank about it. You know, Arteta needs to outline what Saliba's role would be. Uh, Saliba needs to either accept it or not accept it. Then if if the decision is taken that we're going to part ways, then the, the talks need to happen between Arsenal and Marseille over his future. But, you know, when you spend £30 million on someone, you're kind of in a difficult position because on the one hand, you look at it and you go, I... You look at it and you go, we've spent 27, 30 million pounds on this guy. Surely we've got to give him an opportunity. But there's another part of you that goes, yeah, but because the previous regime spent 27, 30 million pounds on him, doesn't mean I should be playing him if I don't think he's the right option. So I think there's a there's a difficult kind of balance to find there. I don't think Mikel Arteta will be too bothered about what we paid for him or will be too bothered about the history of it. I think the Arsenal fan base will react negatively if we did move him on, uh, because I think a lot of people have been encouraged by what they've seen of him at Marseille. But the reality is we haven't seen him in an Arsenal shirt yet. So if the right offer was to come across the table and we could acquire someone, maybe not specifically Antonio Rudiger, but someone we feel would add as much value uh, to the squad, then, uh, then I wouldn't be completely against doing it. I've got to be honest. Got to be honest. Let's see uh, what else we've got in here. And there are a lot of questions because there's two weeks worth uh, in here. So I, I do apologise um, if I don't get to all of them. Uh, but I will do my best to touch on as many as possible. The thing is, I like to answer them properly, right? I don't want to just skim through them. Um, and so I do take a little bit longer on each one than probably I should. But let's take this one from uh, Peenie Ween. Should we take this one? 
Yeah, let's do it. Uh, seeing how the team has progressed under Arteta throughout his tenure, does it show that all managers should be given a fair amount of time rather than the fans and the board thinking short term and just moving on to the next guy? Well, I think it's um, it's early to say that we've made the right... For example, if we missed out on the Champions League this season and if we finish in the Europa League, you know, I think that that, in a lot of ways, would be in line with what Arsenal probably expected. But there's got to be constant progression, right? There's always got to be a view to what's coming and a view to, um, you know, how... Or, or, you've always got to be looking down the road, I guess is the point I'm trying to make here. So you can't be uh, resting on your laurels. I feel like Arsenal as a football club rested on their laurels when it came to Arsene Wenger for a long time. Love the man, adore the man. He's a god to me. But there was a point where we needed to to cut him loose and we took too long to do that. The way we did it wasn't nice either. It just, for me, it's, um, it's, uh, it's one of those things where you have to be constantly seeing progression and, Mikel Arteta, although I like what he's doing and I like a lot of the things he's done behind the scenes, and I think in the long term, they stand us in very good stead. He's not achieved anything yet. Um, so to say that he is an example of why managers should be given lots of time, I think he's a little bit premature at this point. But if he does go on to have the success that I think he will in terms of getting Arsenal back into the Champions League and, it, and establishing us as a Champions League club again regularly, then it will be proof of that exact point, yeah. I think it's it's a valid argument. Let's see. Um, Moss put some questions in the chat about strikers. I feel like we've spoken strikers to death uh, over the last couple of weeks. So we'll park that one, Moss. I apologise. I, I know you've put a few in there, so I will pick up another one. Uh, but the whole strikers thing, I think we've done it to death over the last couple of weeks. So um, we'll focus on, on a couple of different bits. Mint says... Not sure if anyone's old enough to have stood on the terraces, but what do you think about standing at the Arsenal? Where would you allocate it? And do you think the capacity would rise or they should leave it as it is? Personally, I'd get rid of the lower tier seating and make that standing only, increasing the capacity by a few thousand. Now, the idea of safe standing is one that's been discussed a lot, um, you know, uh, in, in recent seasons. We know that there are a few clubs trialing this in the UK. We know that it's something that uh, a lot of fans are um, are campaigning for, a lot of fans want to see. Now, I've got to be honest, I sit in, um, I sit in the North Bank uh, of Emirates Stadium. I'm in the North Bank lower. I'm in block six, which is not right behind the goal. It's slightly to the right of the goal as you look at it from behind. It's in the corner. It's known as probably the most atmospheric part of Emirates Stadium. And I'm not being biased. It is. It's the bit where everybody's always singing. It's the bit from which a lot of the chants start. Uh, props to the guys in the clock end because they've done a really good job of making that a lot more uh, lively as well um, in recent seasons. So fair play to them as well. But I feel like to me, the safe standing thing is a no brainer because I stand through every game anyway. We don't sit down where we are. We stand for the entire game. We maybe sit down for 10 minutes at half time to rest our legs a little bit, but we are standing for the entire game anyway. So I think at least behind the goal, at least that North Bank lower section should be turned into safe standing because we do it anyway. So why not make it safer to do so? Why not put those railings in to make it safer for everybody, seen as we do it anyway? You know, when I first got my season ticket, 
at Emirates Stadium when I first uh, was going. There was a, a little bit of kind of pushback from some of the stewards from time to time. People used to come up to us and say, you know, sit down. Or they used to try and get people to, to sit down because you'd get one of those, I don't really want to insult them, but one of those people that, you know, thinks he's at a theatre rather than a football match and is sort of having a moan and having a whinge about people standing up in front of him. Mate, just get up as well. But yeah, they tried, you know, they've tried on numerous occasions to get us to sit down. It just ain't working. And it's got to the point where nobody bothers, nobody cares anymore. So why not do it? Why not set it up in a safer way? And it would increase the capacity. It really would. Uh, for me, I think that we often find people in that section of the stadium that aren't in their correct seats because they love the atmosphere, because they want to be near their fans. That's, I beg your pardon, near their friends. Um, you know, I'm guilty of, of bringing people to come and stand next to me whose ticket is is somewhere else in the ground. But because we're standing, we can do it. And if you get to know the people around you and everybody's friendly and enjoying the game and, and of the same spirit, then it's not ever really a problem. But I just think the safe standing thing, as I say, we do it anyway. So why not make it as safe as possible and uh, and let us uh, let us continue with it? We're going to uh, quickly uh, take a short break, literally just a really short break, just to bring you uh, up to speed uh, with our good friends over at Football Prizes, who, of course, uh, have a new football prize uh, for you guys uh, to go after. The link is in the description uh, below, and it's uh, it's related to one of the Invincibles. I'll just share it uh, up on my screen for you guys now, because this is a prize not to be missed. And on this occasion, although there are more tickets in the draw, there are plenty of other prizes that you could potentially win whilst entering this competition. It's a Freddie Lundberg signed and custom framed Arsenal shirt. Plus there are 13 instant win prizes up for grabs, which you'll find listed on that page. They include things uh, like Arsenal Club Shop gift cards, uh, signed and framed shirts, uh, signed and framed montages from the likes of Robert Pires, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Lots and lots of uh, brilliant stuff. There are a maximum, as I said, of 199 tickets available in this draw. And the tickets are priced at £3.95. 142 of them have already sold. So if you want to get involved in this, you need to get involved quickly. You need to act. The link is in the description. Who wouldn't want a signed Freddie Lundberg shirt up on their wall behind them? I could certainly do that indeed. So please do check out Football Prizes, our partners over at the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Right, we'll be back in a second to take some more of your members' mailbag questions. Okay, uh, let's keep working our way through this week's uh, mailbag. Uh, f 32 says, Do you think there'll ever come a time when fans will not seem desperate to dislike some of our own players and we can ever go a transfer window without claiming we need to make a minimum of three signings? I think you're right. I think that there is a lot of um, a lot of exactly what you've described. Fans that are looking for something to be outraged about, looking to be frustrated about. But I don't think that's a problem, Jid, exclusive to football or exclusive to Arsenal. I think it's a society thing. I think that there are just people out there nowadays who enjoy, um, you know, who enjoy having something to be pissed off about. It's like it gives them an outlet to vent their feelings and their frustrations. And I guess people look at football as being one of those things where you can do that um, and, and you can kind of take a break from your normal everyday life and vent at something like football because it is so public and it is 
something that we've created a culture around venting over. I think that YouTube is a is a big uh, you know factor in that, and I'm not sort of criticizing YouTubers because that's what I do. But I do think that if you you know we we've seen it, a lot of people have benefited from being over the top in their views, and I think that's the kind of content that has become popular and so other people jump on the bandwagon you can have an opinion that is perhaps a strong one but maybe not as extreme as you the way you put it across on youtube but you know that putting it across in that way is going to get you more views more clicks more following and so at least people are playing the game but they only have a game to play because we allow them only because people go looking for it does it mean that that works and that's successful. And so you can sit and you can criticize the people who have, as I say, played the game and exploited the system by pretending to be outraged about everything and anything at every given opportunity. But they're only successful because people go and watch it and they're only successful because people gravitate towards it. So that's our responsibility um, as well. Uh, let's see what else we've got in the chat. Uh, guys, I can see a few of you are popping in questions uh, in the chat box. This is the members mailbag show. So in order to get your questions in on this particular show, uh, you do have to be a member and you have to drop it in the discord server, uh, over, um, on discord in the members mailbag group. It's my way of giving back to the members, uh, that support the show. It's not to say that I don't want to answer you guys' questions who are not members. I do it on every other show, but this show is dedicated to our members. So I'm only going to be focusing on their questions. Um, happy to put it out as I'm doing for everybody to watch and enjoy and get involved in the comments. Uh, but the questions um, go to the guys who are members of the show. Um, let's see what else we've got. Uh, Harry, as a player, what era or team would you have loved to play in apart from the obvious Invincibles? So I guess you're asking me what team I'd love to play in outside of Arsenal as well. Does that count? I mean, obviously for me, I'd have wanted to play for Arsenal, right? Because it's the club of my heart. So naturally, that's where I gravitate towards. I guess the other answer has to be the 97, 98 double winning team. That would be the first thing that comes to my mind. But I've looked at some other great teams as well over the years. I mean, a team I'd have loved to have played for outside of Arsenal, to think outside of the box a little bit, would have been Milan under Ancelotti, with Inzaghi up top, Kaká, Seydorf um, in there, the Maldini Nesta backline with Cafu uh, and all of that. That's a team I'd have loved to have played in as well. I'd have loved to have played in Real Madrid's Galacticos as well with the original Ronaldo, Raul, uh, Zidane, uh, Luis Figo, all of those guys as well. So there's a lot of teams uh, that I, I really admire and really love um, outside of Arsenal as well. Uh, but of course, it would be, if I can't pick the Invincibles, it would be that 97-98 double winning team. That was, I was seven years old. Um, in 1997. So for me, that was like, although I watched football before and I went to my first game when I was like six, that was for me the first season that I really remember every game like pretty clearly because I watched sometimes. I've got the old videotapes and sometimes every now and again, I'll dig them out and I'll have a watch back. And I watch that and I think, yeah, I remember this game. I remember that game. And I can't really say that for seasons prior to that. So that was a really big season for me in terms of me falling in love with football and falling in love with Arsenal. So yeah, um, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's my choices, uh, on that one. Okay. Uh, Mr. Joker says, uh, this week's round of, would you rather, would you rather, 
the FA Cup and Europa double, but you finish outside of the top uh, five in the league or finish second in the league, but bust out early in all the cups. This is a tough one because obviously trophies are, are what football is all about. You want to win trophies. You want to win competitions. A European Cup is not something that I remember Arsenal ever winning. Obviously, they won one in 94. I was too young. Don't remember it. So that would be a new experience for me. We've lost two Europa League finals or the equivalent. We lost in 2000 to Galatasaray. And of course, we lost to Chelsea more recently under Unai Emery. So I've not got to see Arsenal experience a European triumph. So that is important to me. Um, it really is. But I think finishing second in the league would be a much better indicator of the progress and the level of the team. I'm going to go with option one just because I haven't seen Arsenal win anything in Europe. And that for me is a big thing that I need to tick off my list. So I'm going to go with that. But I, I, I do think it's a tough choice for sure. Uh, let's take this one from Mile High Guna, who says, uh, totally hypothetical because I'm happy with Arteta at the moment. But given there was, but given you follow Serie A, I'm curious. If there was one manager from Serie A that you could handpick, regardless of money or ties to the club, who would you like to see as manager of this current side? Question inspired by Serie A Chronicles with Nikki Bandini and Mina Rizuki. Uh, good podcast, that, by the way, if you like your Serie A. Um, okay. Let me think. It's hard because if you're talking about in Serie A right now, like I, I like Pioli. I like the job that he's done at Milan. It's taken him a few seasons, but I think he's got them in a really good place. Um, obviously, I like Gasparini. I think he's done a wonderful job at Atalanta. And I think Arsenal is obviously a much bigger club than Atalanta. But I think there are similarities in that we're not going to be able to spend like the big boys all the time, bit like Atalanta. So we're going to have to buy well and we're going to have to coach well and then sell well. So I think Gasparini would be the one I'd be keen to see sort of get hold of this young and talented group that like to play a really intense style of football because I just think the whole fit would be pretty good. Uh, so that's the one I'd probably lean for. What else have we got? Uh, a couple of questions over the last couple of weeks about the uh, Serie uh, I beg you, Serie A, Celebration Police. But again, like the striker thing, we've done that to death, so I'll park that one. Uh, Tariq Talk says, here's a question about the most exciting title race out of the top five leagues in Europe. No, not the Greek Super League or the Cypriot First Division. Good, because they're shit. Uh, who do you think will win the Scudetto this season? If you'd have asked me this four weeks ago, five weeks ago, I'd have said Inter. Even though they were, you know, there was obviously you were looking at the table and you might have felt, you know, looking at the table and looking at the fixtures, you might have said Napoli or you might have said Milan. I always felt that Inter's superior kind of squad depth was going to get them over the line. I think we've got a huge game coming up this weekend um, between uh, Juve and Inter. And I think if Inter don't win that, the door is just open for Milan, isn't it? I, I, Milan have embarked on a really fantastic project and it's taken a bit of time, but they really are moving in the right direction. They've got a fantastic blend of, of youth and, and, it, and sort of freshness, but they've also got some experience. The likes of Olivier Giroud, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who have really kind of given them that little bit extra when they've really needed it. 
Inter, though, do have a game in hand still. They're only six points off of Milan. And we've seen Milan in recent seasons collapse and fall away when it really, really mattered. So I don't want to rule Inter out, but I think that it, you have to say Milan at the moment. You know, they're, they're six points clear of them, although Inter have played a game less. Um, and they've got an opportunity this week to, um, to, to open that gap even further, if indeed... Of course, uh, Inter get beaten at Juve. Now, that is a big game. That's probably the biggest game in Italian football, that. Um, and of course, as I say, Milan, well, they play on Monday. So they get an opportunity to have a look at what Juve and Inter have done. They get a bit more time to bring their players back from international duty as well. Milan play on Monday night against Bologna at San Siro. So after this weekend, I think we'll get a clearer indication. But I think that right now you've got to lean towards Milan. Napoli are up there as well, but they go away to Atalanta this weekend. Not an easy game. So just looking at all of that, I think that um, I think that Milan are in the driving seat. And also, while I'm here, I might as well uh, tell you guys, I was going to tell you a little bit later on in the week, but the more times I tell you, the better. Uh, we're going to be bringing you a live watch along. Yes, a live watch along on Sunday night of that huge, huge Serie A clash between Juventus and Inter. You guys have asked for more watch-alongs. We're going to bring you as many as we possibly can. We're going to bring you one on Sunday, Juve versus Inter, and then we're going to bring you one on Monday of Arsenal's trip to Crystal Palace. So back-to-back watch-alongs. What more do you want? Uh, check those out um, and you'll get notifications, of course, closer to the time. But we're going to be uh, bringing you, wherever possible, some watch-alongs from some of the big games in Italy because this title race is really bloody hotting up. And I kind of, I feel like, because I'm a big Serie A fan, I kind of feel like it's my responsibility to make sure that people outside of of the Italian football world understand what an incredible season this has been, understand what an incredible title race this is, and appreciate what Serie A brings to the table because it's brilliant. And if I can do that by uh, enjoying you guys' company throughout the games and taking you through them and giving a bit of insight and bit of opinion while we're commentating on the game. It'll be brilliant. So, yeah, live watch along Sunday night from 7.30. Um, come and join us uh, for that and we'll take you through that big, big game. Social DRG says, what level membership for Discord? Doesn't say anywhere. Any level of membership, mate, gives you access to the Discord uh, on this channel. So, uh, yeah, we'd love to have you if you fancy it. Uh, Wesbird says, how many points do you think we will achieve between now and the end of the season? And who is our biggest rival for the top spot? I did do calculations on this. I don't have the numbers uh, to hand, but I did do it on a show with uh, with Mike Stavrou maybe a week and a bit ago now. Um, so, yeah, th- th- if you go back and check out that show, you'll see our breakdown of our predictions uh, on there. But in terms of who I think are our biggest rivals, I think it's Tottenham now. I've got to say, um, I, I think it's Tottenham. I would have said sort of maybe a month ago still, I would have looked at, you know, Manchester United as the main threat and as the main danger. But the more I see of Tottenham and the more I see of Harry Kane and Hume Son really kind of getting into gear, the more I fear that they could be uh, a danger for us. And of course, we've got to go to Tottenham as well, which isn't ideal, not ideal at all. Okay. um, Also, if you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button on the video. Uh, Not got anywhere near enough likes on the board this time around. So please do 
hit the like button and subscribe to the channel as well. If you are new, we're going to take a couple more questions from the members mailbag before I love you and leave you. Uh, let's see what we've got here. Um, this is a really good question. I really like this one from Peeny Ween. Uh, I watched the Super League documentary yesterday called Super Greed. Had it gone ahead and Arsenal were involved, as we know Arsenal signed up for it, do you think you'd still be supporting Arsenal in the same way? <sighs> Tough question, because it's really difficult, I think, to turn off the emotions that you've built for a football club. Um, just like that. I think it's really difficult to just detach. Having said that, the Super League was an abomination. The whole idea of the Super League was a crime um, committed against our sport and committed against all the values that this sport represents. And it just, it, you know, the, the lack of competition, the, the lack of jeopardy, the fact that you could, if you were a founding member, never be relegated from it. It just all was a mess to me. I, I really didn't buy into it at all. At the time, I understood why Arsenal, if everybody else was doing it, felt that they probably had to. But, you know, it didn't sit right with me. And in answer to your question, would I have still supported the club the same? I'd have still supported the club because, I, as I say, it's like being in love. You, you can't just switch it off. Like, there'll be days when I wake up and my son gets on my nerves or he's really naughty and plays up and... And then it'll do something that I find quite funny or quite cute. And all of a sudden, like, it's all gone and you're back to normal and you forget about it and you get over it. We do that with families all the time. You get over things, you move on. You're not going to jeopardize an entire relationship based on one discrepancy unless it's really, really serious. Was this serious enough for me to switch off from my club completely? It was bloody bad, but I don't know that I would have been able to just go, well, I'm not supporting Arsenal anymore and not focus on them and not pay attention to them and not cover them and, and just go about my business doing something else. I don't think I would have been able to switch off, but would it have changed the way I felt about the club emotionally? Yeah, probably a bit, because I feel like there comes a point where you you still have an interest in something, even if it's, you know, even if it's not right for you anymore. But I think my level of emotion, can't even speak, my level of emotional investment would have decreased off the back of that Super League just because of a fear of where the sport in general was going. So, um, yeah, I think it would have changed the way I looked at it. You know, it's like, it's something that you'll always have in the back of your mind. It's something that you'll never fully get over. But I also don't think I'd have just turned off from the club and not. Uh, and not followed or supported them anymore. That would have been incredibly difficult too. So, yeah, it would have changed the way I see football. It would have, you know, I'm a football romantic. I'm an old school football fan. I'm a football fan who really feels and loves the game. For example, like, and again, this is probably going to offend supporters of, of certain clubs, but like, you look at a club like Liverpool or you look at a club like Manchester United, you see them score a goal at home. And you see an Anfield or an Old Trafford erupt. And yes, there are a lot of people who have started supporting the club recently or who you could accuse as being glory hunters. Um, 
for supporting them in the first place. And I get all of that. But that feeling, that vibe that you get from clubs like that, it's not based on where they are today. It's not based on Man United today. It's not, you know, Arsenal, when you saw some of the atmosphere, when you saw the atmosphere when we beat Wolves at home, when you see the way the away end has been of late, particularly at Aston Villa, that's not something that was built overnight. That feeling, that love, that passion for the club, that's history, that's tradition, that's all of those things rolled into one. And you can't manufacture that. Not straight away. It takes a long, long time to develop that. Manchester City will never have that. Yeah, they all went mad when Aguero scored that goal and they won their first Premier League title. But a lot of the time, their their stadium's half empty. The, the atmosphere is dreadful. What I'm trying to say is you can't manufacture the emotion of football. It's something that builds up over time. It can go, though. And I think that had the Super League come into play and had Arsenal, you know, pressed on with that, then I think some of that emotion for me, some of that magic of what ties me to Arsenal Football Club would have would have disappeared a little bit. I've got to be honest. That's that's the way I see it. Um, Essential Departure feels very strongly about it. He says, honestly, the Super League would have tested whether I'd give up on sports altogether and I don't blame you, mate. Let's take one more question um, from the mailbag and then we're going to... Uh, we're going to duck out. This one comes uh, from Jid. Would you rather Arteta by a marquee striker who everybody's raving about and he's linked to every big club to appease the fans? Or do you trust him to buy a relatively unknown entity who he feels would bring more to the squad? I think we've got to do this. Look, we have opinions as fans, okay? We have opinions as writers, as journalists, as commentators, as podcasters, as YouTubers, whatever category you want to put yourself in. You have the right to an opinion and you have the right to say, I think this player is the right player or that player is the right player or that Mikel Arteta should do this or he should do that. But you should never forget that there's a reason that these guys are in that position and we're not. And there's a re and, and they have a level of expertise that no matter how much you profess to study the game or, um, you know, or, or, or believe you have in terms of football knowledge, there's always somebody out there that knows better than you. And so you should always be open to views and opinions put across by others. What I would say is when identifying players and looking at whether they'd be a good fit or not, a lot of it is based on the vision. And we can guess pretty much what the vision is. We can look at the way we set up, we can look at the way we play, and we can probably work out what 70% of the overall plan is because we study it hard and we watch it week in, week out, and we come to conclusions and we see patterns and we see uh, things that, you know, are, you know, common. And then from that, we, we kind of build up and we get to this point where we're now, um, you know, understanding of what it is that Mikel Arteta is trying to do. But that extra 20, 30% of the vision, it's still a mystery to us. And only really Mikel Arteta, as the manager knows what that extra bit is. And that little extra bit can be the difference between a manager going and signing a player that you or I think is the right man and somebody else. Because they know exactly what we're looking for. We kind of know what they're looking for. And on that basis, I think when a manager has had a good period, if Arsenal finish in the top four, they'd have had a very good season. And you look back at last summer and you'd have to say, 
that they did um a really really good uh you know bit of, uh, not bit a really good load of business last summer and so if Mikel Arteta gets Arsenal back into the Champions League based on that that he's overseen an improvement a dramatic improvement got us into a a really kind of good position, strong position, and had a very good transfer window last summer, I think he'd have earned the right for us as fans not to completely back off and not have opinions and be mutes and be silent about it, but he'd have earned the right for us to back off a little bit and give him a chance to do what he does best. And that's how I look at it. If I think that somebody's the right fit, but Mikel Arteta doesn't, well, it doesn't really matter what I think, does it? And I trust that he based on the job that he's been doing and based on, you know, that we might finish in the top four, that he'd be in a position of, of, you know, a far better position than me to make that decision and make that call. I'll never call for, a, I'll never say a player's bad until he's signed and I see with my own eyes that he's bad. I will express doubts about players that I don't think are the right fit. I wasn't sure about Ramsdale. Not that I thought he was a shit goalkeeper, but I wasn't sure that he was good enough to justify, as I've said to you guys many a time, spending so much money on when we clearly needed to strengthen in other areas. So I will doubt things. I will question things, as anybody um, who covers a club and, and covers it in detail should. But there is a part of me that if we do finish in the top four, would think this summer, OK, well, you've proven a lot of us wrong, not just with the transfers, but you've also, um, you know, you'd have also, you'd have proven us wrong in the sense of you brought players in that we didn't think were right. And you've also proven that you can put together a side of a certain standard. And a lot of us didn't think that that was possible. So on that basis, I think I would be able to just back off a little bit more than normal. Sorry, I got a little bit distracted there by reading some of the comments um, that you guys are putting in the live chat right now. Uh, about Roman Abramovich. What is all that about? Can somebody enlighten me while we're live? And maybe we'll just quickly touch on it uh, before we go. Let me go over to, you say it's been reported on Sky Sports. Let me head over to Sky Sports and see if we can catch any. If we can't, we'll, we'll save it for tomorrow. Here we go. Um, oh, man. Roman Abramovich, Chelsea owner, suffered symptoms of suspected chemical weapons poisoning after talks in Kiev, Chelsea owner Roman Abramovich is fine, but Sky Sports News understand Abramovich and Ukrainian peace negotiators reportedly suffered symptoms, including piercing pain in the eyes. But the dosage and type of toxin was likely insufficient to cause life-threatening damage. This stuff is crazy, isn't it? This stuff is absolutely crazy. Uh, look, we'll we'll park that because um, I. You know, I, I don't know a lot about it. Uh, somebody, somebody said it's hours old. It's literally been published on Sky Sports' website two minutes ago. Uh, but we will pick up on that probably a little bit tomorrow um, when I've had a chance to look into it a little bit more. It is a big story. I'm sure we'll discuss it at some point as well. OK, I will catch you all uh, very, very soon with more. Uh, until then, take care of yourselves and we'll be back tomorrow. Stay safe. All the best. And thank you for your participation, as always. Don't forget to hit the like button on the way out. Cheers. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.